Welcome to the fourth episode of My Gay Life Podcast. In this episode, I was MIA, but Becca was able to catch up with Rhea Butcher, stand-up comic and creator of Take My Wife. Then Becca and I chatted about my experiences as a lesbian television producer. We talk a little bit about the television industry and, and how influential it can be. And we talked about how important it was for Ellen DeGeneres to come out as a character on television and in real life and what that did for the television industry and specifically for gay representation in the television industry. All that and more on this episode of My Gay Life Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Take My Wife season one lives on CISO. CISO is an online only network created by NBC for all of their comedy shows. Unfortunately, a couple weeks before I talked to Rhea, NBC announced that they were shutting CISO down. So while Take My Wife season two is completely finished and ready to go, unfortunately, it doesn't have a home right now. And fans all over the world have been on a crusade to try to find a network for it to live on. They're hungry for the season two, and I think that just goes to show how much representation really does matter, and that's where we're going to start things off today with Rhea. I didn't realize, it's one of those things, I think maybe many people feel this way, you don't realize you don't have something until you have it, if that makes sense. Uh Um, So like a lot of people, uh, when we were talking about our show and and when CISO ended and, and the sort of online push for that, a lot of people were tweeting that at me and saying, like, you know, I just didn't realize that I didn't have a representation of just, like, uh, normal, uh, solid, married-slash-committed relationship mm-hmm. between two LGBTQ people. Like, I just, people were saying that to me a lot. And so that, to me, you know, representation is a really big deal. I mean, we talked we're talking about it on the internet every day. You know, mm-hmm. like Aladdin is yeah. shoehorning in some white character for, you know, their same reasons because they think it will make them more money or whatever. Yeah. Um, but the first time that I, and I was just talking about this yesterday to someone, that like as a LGBTQ kid, and I think this is, you know, it's changed recently. Sorry, it's so early in the morning. I'm trying to organize my thoughts. Oh, no, you're uh, fine. It's not even that early. It's 10, but I'm a comedian, so <laughs> I think it's early. I'm not um, a morning person either, so I totally get it. Yeah. Um, so as, a, as I'm just going to use queer. Yeah. Not everybody. Perfect. But that's how, how I identify these days. So uh-huh. not everybody identifies that way, but that's what I'm using for myself. Yeah. So as a little queer kid growing up in Akron, Ohio, with straight parents and straight grandparents and straight friends, as far as I knew, and straight everybody surrounding me, it's, it's very isolating. Uh, and it was then to not see anything like myself on television or around me. And so I grew up thinking whatever this was about me was wrong. I might not have been getting the messaging directly that like, oh, you're going to hell or this, that, the other, you know, specifically like gay people are bad but I wasn't getting any messaging that they exist either, (laughs) you know, because it was the eighties and the nineties and like, we just didn't talk about that. And so the first time I can remember seeing myself represented was when I watched uh, the facts of life and saw Joe on the facts of life. That was the closest thing to me that I had ever seen on TV because she was like into motorcycles and 
snarky and like there was always something between her and Blair, you know, whether they, those actors think so or not, like they definitely were like into each other right? in, you know, either a friendship way or whatever. But that was like the first time I remember seeing myself reflected back and thinking like, okay, well, maybe I'm not wrong. Like maybe I'm not the only one. Cause I felt for a long time, oh, I'm the only, I'm a mistake and I'm, I'm a weirdo. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I, totally so get that. I think that's, yeah, I think that's why representation really matters. Um, I think when when you don't see yourself in any way, shape, or form in the world that you live in, it's really isolating, and it can make you turn inward and really question what is going on for you, and, and it just kind of makes you lonely, I think. Yeah, you know? yeah, and it feels like for most of... My, at least my time, um, that has been the closest we've gotten to representation or these like sort of queer baiting relationships where you're like, am I projecting totally. my own sexuality on this character or is there actually right. something yeah. there? Something that's always missing from the conversation is that oftentimes when we're talking about LGBTQ rights, we're talking about children. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the other side, quote unquote, is always talking about like, what about the kids? And like, yeah, what about the kids? Like, what about the queer kids that grow up isolated? Like, typically, we don't have gay parents, so we're just kind of, like, on our own trying to figure out our own lives totally by ourselves. Even the most, like, supportive of parents are not gay, and so they don't know what it's like to go through. And and that's not to say there aren't queer parents, but, like, the numbers. Now, I don't have the data sheet of, like, thank you. Yeah. I did try to look this up and I couldn't find anything. So I have a feeling it's a pretty negligible percentage. But yeah, you're you're just kind of always searching. And we're talking about, you're talking about Riverdale, that's high school. I'm talking about Facts of Life, that's also high school. Like uh-huh. there have been adult representations of these things but and, and just adult relationships. But we, we don't, we're typically like just kind of stranded when it comes to those first romantic relationships as, as youth. Right. Or whatever. Yeah. I I think mine first yeah. one was like Cat from the Mighty Ducks, but sh- there's not even any like queer baiting or anything. She's just like a right, tomboy no, athlete so woman. You're like, oh, that seems like me. Yeah. 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 Or like, you know, fried, fried Green Tomatoes was a really big deal for me because like the beginning of that movie is a little girl not wanting to wear a dress to church, you know, and like the suit thing. And I remember thinking like, oh my God, that's me. Like straight up, that is me. And then you know that the book is actually a lesbian relationship, but the movie is not. It's close, but it's not. <laughs> yeah, I had to water it down. Uh, of course. Yeah. Or flower it down, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> I assume you've seen like the Thanksgiving episode of Master of None. Yes. I really feel like that was the first time that I watched, and I am a white woman. I'm not a woman of color, but I'm a lesbian. And that was the first episode I watched where I actually got like goosebumps thinking like, oh my God, I remember those Thanksgiving dinners. And oh, I remember yeah. the family having similar reactions and my mom hanging the dress in the closet and me coming down in like overalls. Um, and yeah, that was the, really the first time that I was like, oh my gosh, this is a thing. And I come from a music background. So a handful of years ago, we saw this like democratization of the music industry with Spotify mm-hmm. and basically allowing content creators to just put things out without yeah. so many barriers to entry. And I think we're starting to see that now. And I think one of the things you understand that I'd love to dive in deeper is that a lot of these shows that try to push representation um, and not even shows, just really anything that tries to kind of be more inclusive. Oftentimes it's really just that top layer of who's on TV. Um, and you can yeah. see the holes in that when you're watching it. 
And I think what you all did so well is that it's top to bottom. There are LGBTQ people involved in the writer's room and the music and everything. So I'd love to talk about kind of how you did that and how you made that conscious decision to really go seek out the people that um, would really make your show what it is. Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, the, the one thing that I realized in making this is like the one place that you can have full control over who is in your show is in front of the camera, you know, um, because you can say like, I am not hiring a white person for this role. <laughs> you can just say that because it's, cast. but in terms of crew, you can't do that because that's actually discrimination. And so you have to just take the time to uh, build resources and um, essentially hire on people that are, if, if they themselves are not, you know, um, a diverse quotient or something, I'm, I'm, I don't know what the <laughs> best term to say here is, but you hire people that are on board with that. Right. And you, you set a mindset. My point is essentially like you create an environment that believes in, in changing the system. Mm-hmm. You know, that's how you do it. Is that up front, you're like, we want to do something different. Um, we are two white women. Yes, we are lesbians, but we are still two white women. Mm-hmm. And so we already have two white women as the stars of the show. And if we fill out the rest of the world as just more white women, then that's not what my life looks like. And that's not what reality looks like. So essentially, we wanted to make reality on our show, you know? Yeah. And just take a little bit longer takes a to like just, find the right yeah. people. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's because it's, I'm, I'm trying to think of the best way to say this. It's the reason why it hasn't changed is because it hasn't changed because <laughs> right. it's easier to not change something, you know, because you're essentially hiring the people that, you know, like you, someone is suggested to you and then you interview them and hire them. And then those people bring their people along. And so if you, it's all just like a bit of a cycle of like, well, I heard this person and then they brought their people along and then that population just sort of stays the same. And so what we did is we just dug a little bit deeper and we didn't, even though we had like the third of a television budget and a third of a television shooting schedule. I mean, the first season we wrote, shot and edited the show in four week increments so we wrote six episodes of television in four weeks and developed the show in that four weeks and we shot it in four weeks and we edited it in four weeks and that first season we had an all-female writer's room and um then the second season an all-female writer's room again but we tried to change demographics a little bit by having lgbtq people because we had a little more time so we could uh interview more people so yeah it was just a matter of putting that out in the environment so that if you hired say like a sound editor Mm -hmm. who is a straight white guy which we did Mm -hmm. he was on board with doing the same thing that we were doing so he brought on boom operators who were women who maybe didn't get as many opportunities and who were you know amount of hours away from hitting their you know next guild level okay and 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 so we were able to give like people that leg up so that the next job they get they're they're in at a different guild level and a different pay grade and different possibility you know so with that being kind of the speed that you're talking about four weeks those Uh four week increments 
that being kind of separated from a traditional network is why you were able to move so fast or are you just had to move so fast or is that normal? Uh, I don't know what's normal because this is the only opportunity I've had. I mean, I think that TV, because there's like you were talking about the democratization of everything Mm -hmm. um, and there just being more of everything. I think that there's so much more TV that you just got to, you got to do what you got to do mm-hmm. to get it done. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so in, in a lot of ways, I'm really grateful for the time crunch because we just had to do it. There's no, there's no way around it. It's either do or don't, there is no try kind of a thing, uh-huh. but, um, you know, a little more time. Than I- of course. <laughs> <laughs> but we did it. We did it both times and we were able to, we had a little bit more time, like I said, the second season. Mm-hmm. So that did definitely help us to get, um, you know, more interviews, more people on board, which was great. Uh, I'm not sure how like much you can go into this, but in that, in the Vanity Fair article about kind of save, mm-hmm. take my wife, it mentions that you guys don't own the series. So shopping it out is maybe a little more difficult um, or that yeah. you can't release it independently. Mm-hmm. I'm just curious what like your restrictions are around that. Cause I'm anxiously awaiting season two, of course. Me, I mean, <laughs> me too. I, yeah. It's a little bit out of my hands. Uh-huh. You know, I yeah. can't, there's, like what you've seen is what we've been able to do basically. So what you've seen is where it's at. And, um, you know, any amount of like, I, I know that there, there's a lot going on in this country and there's a lot of, yeah. uh, really serious stuff going on. So it feels very, I don't even know the word. It feels strange to be asking people to tweet about a television show because, you know, um, there's a lot of really bad stuff going on that needs to be spoken about and, and donated to and, and, um, awareness risen to. But if you have a second to tweet about it, it's still going to help because, um, all that tweeting and promotion and stuff really, really helped us get on a lot of people's radar. So that is helpful. And, um, I do think, you know, we do need these moments of, of like rest and, um, happiness and laughter to try to go Mm -hmm. back out and and do these things so um as much as it it weirds me out to be like save my show well (laughs) well literal human beings need to be saved i I think you know both things can exist and um you know one i think deserves a lot more attention (laughs) and it is not the television show (laughs) um but if you can if you can spare a second it will definitely help so and I want people to see it, you know, I, yeah, I feel you we had a slightly bigger budget. Yeah. We had more time. So many people worked on this show that I would hate for it to just not be seen. Of you know? course. Yeah. And I think while like the state of the world is a little intense right now without things like take my wife, I, I know for me, like mm-hmm. when I kind of stumbled upon take my wife the first time, it was like the perfect escape for me. I like made my uh-huh. wife come rewatch all the episodes with me. And I'm like, look, it's us. Like we're finally on TV. Yeah. And, and the way you all are doing it gives me a beacon of light in the world. That things are going to, no, things are going to be bigger. okay. You know, Yeah. for one, it's just a nice mental escape to physically, you know, sit down and watch the show. But on the other hand, the fact that you are out there and you're doing this the right way kind of feels like something's moving in the right direction, even if nothing else is uh-huh. right. So yeah, I don't think there's any harm in asking people to save the show or do what they can. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. But I feel I totally feel the sentiment of we need to save a lot of things right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I, mean, I, I, I guess that's yeah, that's it. But thank you for saying that. That really means a lot. Of course. We just we wanted to make a show that was, um, you know, number one, Cameron said this a lot when the first season came out, but we wanted to make a show where 
the lesbians don't die. Yeah, yes. <laughs> so many shows have lesbians that die because, yeah. I don't know, for some reason people think that is they sit in a writer's room and they are like, yeah, let's have a lesbian. And then a week later they're like, you know what would be really good? Let's kill the lesbian. It's like, oh, man, that oh that would really just wrench everybody's hearts, right? And it's yeah. like, why does everybody think that we should die all the time? Right. <laughs> like, a lot of us, I mean, look, everybody dies. That's the one, death and taxes, that's it, right? But, like, kids, lesbians have a little more time, just a little bit more. Yeah, seriously. And I think also, you know, we wanted to make a show that was about a relationship that, you know, essentially taking a step back from that, like, a relationship that's not going to end. So, like, if you know the relationship's not going to end, you can watch these things without, you can laugh at, at the arguments and the fights and stuff, because, like, Oh, that's just like how life goes, and that's how relationships are. Yeah. And I also wanted to make a show that was about two lesbians in a committed relationship that sort of like debunked the who's the man, who's the yes. woman, and just be like, you know, gender roles are actually pretty fluid. And mm-hmm. if gender roles are pretty fluid, then gender is pretty fluid. Yep. <laughs> you know, and like all these things are, and we tried to couch this all in a somewhat traditional sitcom format of just like two people who have jobs. They, they have the family business together. They do those jobs and then they're in a relationship together. Yeah. Um, yeah. I love that. I think there's completely something to be said about creating art around the coming out process, but I also just love that you were mm-hmm. both out right oh, away. Yeah, yeah. First episode. I didn't have to deal with any of that yeah. extra anxiety. Yeah. The closest thing was you deciding what to do about your graphic design job, which was like a great kind of parallel, it felt like to me, of trying to, you know, kind of come out with your relationship in Cameron, but you were obviously out as an individual, yeah, which right. is so Yeah, awesome. it wasn't about being gay. It yeah. was about, do, do I, how is this going to affect my, my job or whatever? Yeah. Your rent. Because I was worried <laughs> that, that stand-up comedians would judge me for cheating, basically. Cheating the system, yeah. you know, as opposed to it being about me, my sexuality or whatever. Um, yeah, that was a big thing that we, I, I think coming out stories are highly valuable. So Huge. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think that like, oh, we're done with it. We're, we're never done telling stories, you know, like the Thanksgiving episode. I love that episode. I grew up in like a multi-generational household. I was like, am I watching my own life? Like it felt like I was watching because I I had so many Thanksgivings with my mom, my aunt and my grandmother, literally the exact same Thanksgiving. And I was just like, this is crazy. And the posters, the poster conversation, (laughs) all of it is so, it's so, and you know, it's something that I feel like I've lived so many times, but never seen. So you can always do something new with a quote, same story. But I think also, yeah, we need to just have the other side of that because so much we've been coming out and now like, hey, let's just be out and and existing, you know? Yeah, and that storyline especially was, I loved it. Thank you. Not to fangirl too much, but the episode with the baby locked in the house, like tears (laughs) the whole time, like just, oh, I just thought it was hilarious. Yeah, that was great. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Thanks. That was one of those ones where like, I I mean, I had no idea what we were doing, but we had such a, our head writer in the first season, Shauna McGeary, was so seasoned. I mean, she has been in writer's room for 15 years, I think. You know, she worked on 24 Anger Management um, and another show that's like completely escaping me right now. But, you know, she was a writer's assistant in rooms where the tradition was the writer's assistant does not speak. And so she just understood how to make television scripts in a way that like she could do it 
with her with a blindfold and her hands tied behind her back, you know? Yeah. And so she, but she also understood um, emotion and relationship building, like all these things. She helped us so much to make these shows a reality. And I remember writing that script and being like, we like brought up the baby thing. And I was like, you know, we don't have to have a baby. <laughs> like we can write it. And that's just from like doing right. improv where yeah. I was like, you know, you don't have to have the baby. It can just be kind of there. Uh-huh. And what if it's blocked in the house the whole time, but it's fine because it's a right. baby monitor. And it's like one of the, one of the most, that was one of the most like satisfying things to make because it was almost like pulling off a hit and run in baseball where you're just like, you know what, it's what we're going to do. And then we're going to do it. And then it works. Uh-huh. And it's, it's just really fun. I don't know. <laughs> I love it. Between like, Take my wife and then put your hands together. Obviously, a lot of your lives center around these UCB stand-up nights. Mm-hmm. Are we watching a real, like a scripted reality show? Like, is that your house and Take My Wife? Because <laughs> yeah. it seems like so much of your art is around this community that is clearly very important to you all. Yeah, I mean that's that's not our actual house. Okay. <laughs> a lot of people think it is. Like we've had people come over to our actual house and be like, "Oh, I thought it was going to be." <laughs> the house from your show and then they're like i don't know why i thought that but i did right (laughs) Um, but yeah like a lot of it you know cameron likes to say it's um uh narratively accurate Uh but somewhat fiction but mostly fictional so like the day job thing is highly accurate uh but like names are changed and i never worked on fish stick logos but um, that's too bad you know and we had to change it because, like, I used Corel Draw, and like, I don't need to explain to an audience, people watching a television show, what Corel Draw is. You know, like, <laughs> right, like right. all this, this specificity of all that stuff. But like, um, you know, and, and some things didn't happen, but they happened sort of emotionally in our lives. So yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, it is just um, a sort of uh, escalation of our actual lives. Like all that stuff happened, but maybe not the way that it was in the show. Like we were locked out. Cameron was. Uh, uh, nannying for for a friend, and I came over and we got locked out, and our and Indian food was delivered when we were locked out, <laughs> and so like that actually did happen. Um, <laughs> but there were you know we added elements and changed the stuff, protect the innocent. You know? <laughs> of course. With our last couple of minutes, um, what kind of advice do you have for people who want to create things that are you know, well representative of either themselves Mm -hmm. or some group of people and really like plugging that representation at at all levels. Like what kind of advice do you have for them and how to make it happen? Sure. Well, my advice is this. Uh, Number one, if you are using social media, which you probably are because it's 2017, (laughs) um, start following, if you are a white person, start following people of color. I mean, if you're a person of color and you're not following people of color, follow people of color. (laughs) That's the best way to make connections with people and mm-hmm. and find people outside. If 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 you have a small um, like friend group or creative group, that's the that was the fastest way for me to find other people. Mm-hmm. Um, because if if other people don't know, you know, uh, LGBTQ groups, like that's how you do it. You find people, you follow people on the internet, yeah, <laughs> and then you you see what they're making. Um, you listen to their stories, you friend up with them because you're like, Oh, you know what? These like-minded people. And then you meet with them and then you start making people, making things with them. And, um, that's how you expand your 
your horizons and your friend group and your creative group. Um, you find more people that way. And then my other advice would be if people tell you it's not important, tell them they are wrong. I love it. Or tell yourself that person is wrong and I'm not going to let them tell me what to do because I know what I'm doing and this is what I want to do. It's just like it, it is exactly the same as having a creative vision for a product and not letting someone tell you that you're wrong about that. Mm-hmm. If you have a vision to make that product in a way that is representative of your life and the people in your life or people that you want to have in your life or people that you want to give opportunities to, um, then you just have to look at those two things the same way. Like this isn't going to get done in any other way than the way I want it to be done. And you don't have to be like militant about it, but you can just be like, no, this is what we're going to do. Right. I don't want to do that. We're going to do this. It's difficult, especially as like a female conditioned person Mm -hmm. to say no to people, especially when those people are men, because Mm -hmm. you're, you're taught your entire life to listen to everybody else and, men probably know better than you do and they think they know better than you do because they've been told their whole lives that they know better than you do. But it's really just a test of like doing it. You know, it really is. You just like set an intention and you have to follow it, you know, for yourself. I love it. Well, thank you so much for talking to me this morning. I really appreciate it. And I'm really excited. Absolutely. Did you want to talk about baseball like at all? Oh, we can totally talk about baseball if you still have time. (laughs) I think I have like a, a, a minute. Perfect. Yeah, it's ten twenty-eight. I have like three minutes. I can talk about baseball. Okay. Did you? Well, real quick. Did you recently throw the first pitch out at a Dodgers game? Did I see that? No, I threw okay. out a first pitch at an Oakland Athletics game oh, for Friday okay. night. Oh, well, that's cool. And then too. last year, I threw out a first pitch at a Cleveland baseball game, um, not for Pride Night. That's pretty um, cool. But yeah, yeah. How are you feeling about baseball right now? I know you said the Dodgers are oh, killing you. Baseball is always so stressful. I, <laughs> <laughs> I mean. It's just, you know, I realized you just got to let go and let baseball. It's just always going to be yeah. baseball and baseball is going to be baseball. Yeah, that's right. You get too close, it's going to burn you every time. <laughs> every time. Every time. I went to the first two games of the World Series last year and I came back from Cleveland and people were coming up to me saying like, oh, they look like they're going to do it. And I was like, <laughs> what are you doing? Stop talking. To me. Right. Have you not watched baseball your entire life? <laughs> uh, have you become like a full-fledged Dodgers fan now, or are you still mostly a Cleveland fan? Um, oh, no. I mean, here's the, the Cleveland thing is very complicated. It's not good. You know, what they're doing is not great as a team, and it needs to change. And for a long time, I thought I could do it from within and, like, be a fan that doesn't wear the stuff. And then I was like, you know, I'm just part of this. Yeah. So, like, I, I realized, you know, I need to not be part of this. And so until they change it, I'm just not, I'm not a Cleveland fan. You know, it's, it's hard. A lot of people are very angry about that, but it's like, if this is what you're angry about me being upset about cheap Wahoo, then you have a pretty hard life. And that's what you're, <laughs> you're most upset about is there's someone you don't know thinks cheap Wahoo is offensive and terrible and should be taken away. Um, but I, I'm about the full fledged Dodgers thing. Like I love going to the games. I love a lot of the dudes on this team. I love a lot of the guys on the Cleveland team. Like I, I love Jose Ramirez and uh, Francisco Lindor and Andrew Miller seems like a really nice guy. So I, I like the players, not the game. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's fun being a Dodgers fan because I live here and yeah. it's around and 
sports is all about being a part of something and mm-hmm. having a common language. And I think sometimes as, as a queer person, I really go hard into that because it's nice to feel included. Um, but then sometimes that, that rears its ugly head and you're like, why did I go into this? Like, <laughs> I just went into a thing that I knew was going to be bad. Um, so it's, it's, it's always like, it's just balancing it, you know, and realizing like, you know what? I went too far down this road. I'm going to come back a little bit. I'm going to start watching minor league games or something. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. just, it's, it's always, it's always a heartbreak one way or the other. Speaking of the minors, have you made it up North yet to see the Sonoma Stompers? No, I have not yet this season, but I want to. It might have to wait till next season, unfortunately. But I, I think I would have a better chance of seeing Stacy pitch if I go next season because I think she's done for the season. I've been wanting to get down there for a game so badly. Um, and the book that it was written about their team is really good. If you haven't read that, if oh, you like books. yes, I need to yeah. check that out. Yeah, I yeah. do. No, I have a stack of books for going on tour, and oh, most perfect. of them are baseball books. There you go. <laughs> what other ones are in your stack? Um, I've got Baseball Life Advice by Stacey Mae Powell. Um, let's see. Tomboy Survival Guide by Ivan Coyote. I'm going to reread that one. Stolen Bases by Jennifer Ring. The All-American Girls After the AAGPBL. How Playing Pro Ball uh, Shaped Their Lives by Kat D. Williams. Um, All the Way Home by David Gipples. And then I've got Jared Yates Sexton's new book, The People Will Rise Upon Your Shores Like the Water, something like that. Okay. Um, he was following all the campaigns in 2015 and 2016 and wrote a tremendous book about it. I've been following him on Twitter for a while, and it's pretty eye-opening. So. I'm sure. That's great. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And I'm really excited to see you all in Seattle in a couple weeks. Oh, yeah. I'm really excited about this tour. It's going to be a lot of fun. 20 cities. And uh, if you're not in Seattle, you can get tickets to other cities uh, on my website, riabutcher.com. Perfect. And we'll put a link up, too. So we actually saw Rhea Butcher and Cameron Esposito's show last night in front of a sold-out crowd at the Neptune my favorite venue in Seattle, and there's nothing better than filling it with what felt like a majority of Seattle's lesbians. So that was awesome. It was hilarious. They were incredible. They have fantastic chemistry, and Seattle was their first stop. So they definitely haven't come to your city yet. So go get tickets. Go see them. You won't regret it. It's a great night. glad you got a chance to talk to her i'm sorry i missed that conversation but it was it was really fun it was a really fun interview (laughs) i sent butts the conversation that i had with ria and immediately after she finished listening to it i got a text that said oh my god i'm joe too i definitely growing up related to joe on the facts of life which when i heard ria talk about that i was just i was literally in my car clapping because i loved it it she was just such a phenomenal character she was the tomboy she wore the camouflage she didn't care about dressing up you know she followed her own rules she rode a motorcycle everything i wanted to be was joe everything i i wanted to be joe my mom would would pull my hair back in a ponytail like joe's she would buy me camouflage clothes so i could be joe um so 
when I saw that character, I was just, I was in heaven because that's who I was. And then it, be, it became more for me because I really started to appreciate Nancy McKeon as an actress as I got older. So I appreciated her work over the years. But man, when, when she did Joe, that's just still, I watch that show and I just love her so much because I just wanted to be Joe. And to some extent, that's why I got into television. I always wanted to work with Nancy McKeon. I haven't yet, but I always wanted to. I always wanted to be in the world of the facts of life and to know what it was like to make a TV show. That That's why I chose my career path. I used to record all of the facts of life episodes on VHS tapes, and then I would sit and do episode descriptions on the back of the cover. So I was already cataloging episodes at a very young age. It was awesome. <laughs> something I always wanted to do. I didn't know I could ever be paid to do it, and I was. Um, so Joe was definitely it. Now, as far as my gay connection, and I think we've talked about this before, but it's my gay connection to television was Sharon Gless on Cagney and, Cagney and Lacey. I had a very weird feeling when I would see Cagney on screen. <laughs> <laughs> and now I know it's because I was attracted to her. <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen that. It's two cops. It's um, oh. Sharon Gless and Tyne Daly. They play detectives. Okay. And um, ironically, it, the first season was done with an actress named Meg Foster. And the reason they let Meg Foster go and brought on Sharon Gless was because they were getting feedback that the characters were too butchy. And that <laughs> scared the networks. So they had to let Meg Foster go, and they brought um, Sharon Gless on to be a little bit more feminine for the character of Christine Cagney. Um, and it's just so ironic because they were they they were the gay icons. I know a lot of friends who were in college at that time that would all get together in a dorm room and watch the Cagney and Lacey. All my lesbian friends, older lesbian friends. Right. I mean, it was just oh, two funny. strong women who were just getting it done, and they were cops, and they were tough, and. And they were good looking. I mean, man, Sharon Glass, she's a good looking lady, but she was hot. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. That's awesome. <laughs> have you have you heard of the bold type? No. Or no, watched it yet? No. It's really the first time I've watched a show and felt truly represented. I think part of that has to do with the gay character's job being a social media manager, because I did that for a long time. And the other part of it, though, her coming out story is familiar, and it's basically like if you took The Devil Wears Prada and you made the boss someone who's deeply empathetic and truly cares about the women that work with her and their futures, and you got rid of the like weird boyfriend who holds Anne Hathaway's character back, um, that's basically the bold type. And the women aren't catty, and they're just truly good-hearted, genuine women like most of us out there trying to do the best that we can and there's just enough drama to keep you engaged without having to like cringe every time you watch oh the show. yeah i've seen it advertised well yeah i really love it yeah and they they promo it during the fosters which i don't know if you've watched the fosters oh, yeah and that talk about representation what what a great show. I mean, when it started out, it was a really, really strong storyline, too. But, mm -hmm. you know, the storylines yeah. over the years have kind of gone a little crazy. But I just think overall representing lesbians raising their children and some are adopted and some are gay. And then now they have a trans character. 
Um, I just think the representation is across the board on that show, and they're doing such a great job. They're reaching out to a lot of youth that really needs to see that kind of stuff right now. And I like it. I watch it. So that's a good show, too. Why does representation matter to you specifically, maybe as a mom or just as a gay woman? I think it matters because it needs to be, it, it's still not perceived as normal. And unfortunately, we, we, we just live in a culture that thrives on television and characters that you see on television. And when you see something on television, it's normal. It's okay. You know, the thing that upsets me is if you're going to put all these shows like The Bachelor on TV, where you can, you know, basically sleep with 20 different people and then, oh, decide I'm going to spend the rest of my life with this person. That's okay in the eyes of these people who think that gay families are not normal. But to have, you know, two lesbian moms raising kids in a loving home is not okay. So I think it's important to have that stuff on television. It's important for people to see that. With all forms of media that we have out there now, television is still one of the strongest forms that we have as far as getting messages out there to people. I definitely agree. I think there are very few things that shape our culture and the conversations that we're having in the way that television does, especially for as long as television has been doing it. Um, Especially, and even more so right now, where we're living in this kind of weird period between television, social media, and the current political state of the world. So I've really been wanting to go back and watch old episodes of The Daily Show and see if like Jon Stewart ever even mentions the president on a random oh, Wednesday. Yeah. Because now you can't mm-hmm. watch an episode of The Daily Show without the president being mentioned. I don't remember it being that ingrained in every bit of our culture the way that it is right now. Mm-hmm. No, I completely agree. Yeah, I, I think, you know, having watched... I watched Ellen come out. I watched the whole process of that. I, I was, you know, I've already graduated college, so I was old enough to, to see television before and television after and understand the difference and understand what she did. And, and it, was such, it was such a huge event. It was crazy at the time to think that her saying the words, I'm gay on television, were going to be so groundbreaking. Um, but it was. And and now it's, you know, it's look how many gay characters we have on television and it's fine and it's fun and it's great. But that, I mean, she, what she went through to to make it normal, what she did for herself, what she did for her career, you know, I can't imagine how far down she had to go because she was just dropped so far down and then to come back up and be where she is now is so inspiring. But what she did for television, it, it, I don't know that we would be as far as we are without that moment, without that moment of the buildup to her episode, the episode itself, and then even the downfall of her career afterwards, I think, even helped the cause more. <laughs> oh, clearly Perez <laughs> agrees with me. Yeah, yeah, he thought that that was a huge moment in history, too. Well, it was called the puppy episode. <laughs> What do you what do you mean when you say like the run up to that episode? What was that like? I don't there was, I don't remember this. Oh, cuz you were still a baby. I know, yeah. <laughs> there was just so much hype around it. Um Did people like already suspect that she was gay at this point or was she out at all or was it all just rumors? You know, right before she came out on the show, 
she came out in real life. And um, so word got around that her character was going to come out as well. Now, up until then, she, you know, she was she was in the closet in the sense that she didn't really speak about being gay, kind of like Jodie Foster and Rosie O'Donnell. You know, people knew they were gay, but they didn't actually go on television and say, hey, I'm gay. It was just understood. And as long as they didn't talk about it, it's okay. Kind of like in most conservative families, just don't talk about it and it'll be fine. So people knew sort of that she was gay. And then she came out and then her character on television was going to come out. And when when people found out that was going to happen, it was just there was so much buildup. Sponsors were pulling their ads from her show. People were planning coming out parties to watch the episode together. You know, it was how was she going to do it? What was she going to say? What was going to happen? When was it going to air? You know, the reason they called it the puppy episode was because they they were getting so many threats at the studio that they didn't want people to know when they were recording that episode. So they called it the puppy episode. So people would just think, oh, it's just another episode, because if they called it the coming out episode, you know, they were getting a lot of um, bomb threats and people were going to, you know take over the place. So they were trying to be very safe about it. Wow. But the buildup was just, it was so intense. And, you know, it was, it was back in a time when we didn't have DVRs yet and you didn't have really the internet wasn't what it is now. So it's not like you can look it up and watch it later. Um, You had to watch it in the moment or you had to set your VCR to record it. Uh, (laughs) Right. That's a good point. um, Which is, makes it even more of a buildup. But as soon as it happened, you know, the backlash, everybody was just, She was just getting it from every direction. People were so angry at her and sponsors were pulling their ads from her show and the networks were letting her go and nobody wanted her to do her stand-up show in their theaters. It was just, it was, and it happened so quickly. It was just so sad to watch. I can't even imagine what Ellen would have to do now in 2017 to have an advertiser pull from her show. Right? She's so wildly popular. You would have to be crazy. Wow, that's nuts. Yeah. And then did people just eventually like embrace her and then that's how she came back? You know, she had to disappear for a while, really. She just kind of had to go away. Um, I guess let people forget about it. But then she just, she came back with another show and it didn't do well. And I think it was still partly because of the backlash Uh, from being gay. So that only lasted a couple seasons. And then she decided to do the talk show and she just did it. She just came back and said, this is what I'm going to do. You're either going to support me or you're not. And people have jumped on board. I mean, how could you not love her? She does so much good in this world. She's such a funny, wonderful person that I think by her just putting herself back out there saying, I'm going to do this, she did it. And people accepted and realized, you know what? I don't care if she's gay. She's a good person and she's funny and and she for one hour every day makes me feel good. Yeah, I think that's incredible. I don't think I ever really knew that story. I knew obviously that she had come out and it was a big deal. And I remember the cover of Time or maybe People. I don't remember. It was Time. I still have it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I don't think I realized like that she, it wasn't just like up and up after she came out. Yeah, it was, I mean... I don't know what she was expecting either, I think. I know she's talked about it a lot, and I haven't seen really an interview to answer that, but I don't know if she was expecting people to hate her or people to really embrace her, but they just certainly did not embrace her for the most part. I mean, we did as a gay community. We were all behind her, but we were such a small amount of anybody who had any say in the entertainment industry that it, it really did affect her career.
Oh, yeah. Um, you and Rhea were talking about baseball. And <laughs> I, I, I just... I felt so connected to her and everything that she was saying about how painful it is to watch baseball and how invested you get. And so many times I've, I've sat and cried after Yankee games because they've lost and it just breaks your heart. And you just, you get so invested in this season because it's so long. And now I'm raising a child and she points at the TV and she says, buh, buh, buh. She's trying to say baseball because I put the baseball game on and when I turn it off, she gets, you know, upset with me. So, you know... I, and I've had to learn to watch it a different way now that I'm a mom because I can relate to Rio when she says she wants to yell and scream and curse and you just sit there and cry. I can't do that with a child, so I kind of have to just have to internalize all of it and say it's that's a real shame that they missed that catch and this game is over now. And then I just go and throw my face in the pillow and scream, why? <laughs> If you liked what you heard on this podcast and you want to tell us a little bit about how you identified with characters on television, check us out on mygaylifepodcast.com and send us a note. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of My Gay Life Podcast. Special thanks to Rhea Butcher for joining us on today's show. As always, thanks to Reef Boy for the original music. If you like the music on My Gay Life podcast, it was produced by bassist Sharif, a.k.a. Reef Boy, and his next project comes out on September 29th with Cody Simpson in the Tide. You can stream it wherever you usually stream things. <laughs> and thank you to Jesse Brown for some marketing assistance this past couple weeks. My Gay Life podcast is brought to you by Cindy butts Hoen and Rebecca Fernandez. We are co-produced by Prez, a.k.a. President Fernandez, my seven-month puppy who you might have heard on today's episode. Oh, and a very special shout-out to Butts' mother-in-law. She's awarded My Gay Life podcast with the prestigious It's Bingeable Award. Thank you so much for listening. We'll have more for you soon.